All right, good evening. Could you turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24? Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. We're continuing our study of the prophetic subject of the day of the Lord by noting in our sixth hour of this study the beginning of the 70 weeks of Daniel and the end of the 69th week. So we'll be in Daniel 9, 25 for this evening and some other passages like Nehemiah chapter 2. So uh, we, uh, without further ado, let's take a moment of silent prayer. Look around, you all know what to do. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you for the grace, the faith, the salvation, and our work in our behalf in eternity past, and the personal work of your Son of the cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives from regeneration to resurrection. And I pray that the Holy Spirit do a mighty work through all of us here this evening. By the power of the Spirit, help me to communicate your full counsel to your people with accuracy and clarity, reverence and respect and power, so I can provide for them the necessary spiritual nourishment. And by the power of the Spirit, help your people to learn, understand, and apply what's being taught to concentrate and please break down any barriers that sin and Satan might put up that would hinder that from happening. So we pray, Father, this study in Daniel uh, 925, where we talk about the beginning of the 70 weeks of Daniel and the end of the 69th week, would, uh, would uh, encourage us and, and reveal to us and, and, uh, and, and uh, encourage us to know that you are in control of history and, and through your son, Jesus Christ, and in the life of your son, Jesus Christ, you manifested that amazingly. And this uh, prophecy that was fulfilled uh, when you, uh, your son walked into Jerusalem to present himself as the Jewish Messiah. So we pray this lesson be a great encouragement to you, uh, to your people and your son uh, as we uh, study this uh, passage here this evening. In our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, well, this will be our sixth hour in uh, the Day of the Lord uh, series. And uh, it's, uh, we'll be covering uh, many dispensations and many different uh, uh, periods of the, in the future. Uh, with regards to this study, we'll be talking about the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, the times of the Gentiles, uh, which coincide with it, and also uh, the second advent of Christ, and also the millennial reign and the new heavens and the new earth. But also, we'll be talking about the rapture in relation to this prophetic subject. Now, as we noted in our introduction, we noted uh, there's a, the historical, uh, there are some passages, Day of the Lord prophecies that have been fulfilled in history. We noted that in our first hour. And then there's many more to be fulfilled uh, in an eschatological sense, uh, prophetic sense, we can call it, uh, with the, the Day of the Lord prophecies related to the tribulation period, the 70th week of Daniel, and the second advent of Christ, which ends that uh, 70th week and also the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, and also uh, the new heavens and the new earth. So we'll be studying all of these in the future. And so uh, t uh, tonight, uh, we continue our study of the eschatological or prophetic day of the Lord prophecies by noting in Daniel 9.25, the beginning of the 70 weeks of Daniel and the end of the 69th week, which is actually very it's incredible 
uh, this particular uh, prophecy that was fulfilled in history. And so as we've been, I've been showing you this chart uh, on the board, uh, and uh, I have another one I'm going to show you of the 70th week. But as you can see, Daniel's 70 weeks, it's 490 prophetic years. And so uh, Daniel 9, 24 through 27 presents this particular prophecy, which actually, uh, as I've been pointing out, is giving us the prophetic outline of Scripture. In fact, if you look at the Olivet Discourse of Matthew 24, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ actually followed the outline of Daniel 9:27 for the 70th week. And we see that 69 of these weeks, 483 of these prophetic years, have already been fulfilled in history in minute details. We'll see right to the very day, as we'll see here this evening. And also, we also see uh, that uh, uh, the, um, uh, with, the, with this uh, 70 weeks prophecy, the, this one week left, uh, the, the 70th week of Daniel, we call it, it's yet future. And nothing in Daniel 9.27 corresponds to it in history and so it's yet future uh, there is events that have taken place in between the end of the 69th week and the 70th week prophesied in Daniel 9:26, which we're going to talk about as well uh, which is the crucifixion of Christ the destruction of Jerusalem and the, the temple in Jerusalem and 70 AD by the Romans so Daniel 9:25 and 26 have been fulfilled in minute detail and only the 70th week remains to be uh, uh, Fulfilled. We also pointed out that and Paul talks about this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 when discussing the day of the Lord in relation to the rapture of the church that uh, the, the 70th week of Daniel cannot take place and that treaty which by Antichrist with Israel which starts the 70th week can't take place and be uh, take place in history until the church has been removed. And 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through two, uh, 12, where Paul says the restrainer, which is the Holy Spirit who indwells the church, each member of the church, when he's removed at the rapture of the resurrection of the church, then Antichrist can manifest himself. Then the day of the Lord, the uh, eschatological day of the Lord in relation to the 70th week of Daniel and the second advent of Christ can take place. So everything's wait the next prophetic event that we're waiting for is the rapture of the church. So as we'll be seeing uh, on the, the, the beginning of this decree, which we're going to note here this evening, uh, is the decree to rebuild Jerusalem in 444 B.C. That starts the 70 weeks prophecy. We know what there was four decrees that Persian rulers had issued in relation to the Jews, but only one fits the bill, and it's found in Nehemiah chapter 2. And that's the, the decree of Artaxerxes Longomanus in 444 B.C., when he uh, decreed that the temple should, uh, the, the, the city of Jerusalem, should, its wall should be rebuilt. So that starts the time clock. That starts the 70th, 70 weeks prophecy. And we pointed out that the 483 years, or 69 weeks, uh, which ends with Christ's triumphal entry in Jerusalem, uh, is, uh, has been fulfilled in history. It's broken out into two sections. We have the first seven weeks uh, is equivalent to 49 prophetic years, that's related to the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. And then on top of that, with its completion, we have another 62 weeks, equivalent to 434 years, which ends with Christ's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Well, we could say more accurately his tearful entry into Jerusalem because he said that they would, uh, he knew that they would uh, reject him as Messiah. So uh, that's all these, these, these 49 years or seven weeks, 62 weeks on top of that, which is equivalent to 434 years, all of which is equivalent to 69 weeks and equivalent to 483 prophetic years has been literally fulfilled in history. And the 70th week begins with the Antichrist Treaty with Israel. It ends with the second advent to Christ. That's broken out into two three-and-a-half-year sections. The first three-and-a-half years, as the colonel used to call it, is a cold war. But Antichrist breaks the treaty 
and that starts the Armageddon campaign, which we have the seven seal, trumpet, and bull judgments of Revelation 6 to 18 poured out upon a Christ rejection world, a reje rejecting world at that time, and it ends with the second advent of Christ. And that second advent of Christ is the day of atonement, the literal fulfillment of the day of atonement, where there's a national regeneration of the nation of Israel. Total contrast to the first advent of Christ, where the majority of Jews rejected Jesus Christ as Savior. And so uh, we see that uh, th this is all we're waiting for. And in between, at the, between the end of the 69th week, the 483rd prophetic year, and the beginning of the seventh, uh, the last week, the 70th week, is the church age. And we have, of course, uh, Daniel 9.26 was fulfilled during this period where we have the crucifixion of Christ. And again, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed and uh, the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD by the Romans. And so let's look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 24. It says, and I'm reading for the NIV, and I'll read for my translation of these verses as well, verses 9, 24 through 27 of the book of Daniel. Daniel 9, 24, it says, 77 is a decree for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. We studied this last week, and uh, this is the, the, the sixfold purpose uh, which is actually really twofold purpose in a way uh, of the 70 weeks prophecy. And the first, we have the, uh, when it says to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, he's talking about the corporate or national sin of Israel, where the majority of Jews uh, have rejected Jesus. But that will change at the second advent. And then the final three are related to the millennial reign of Christ, to, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy. It's talking about the fulfillment of the 70 weeks prophecy. And uh, all the prophecy related to the prophetic expectation of the Jews of the Messiah reigning over Jerusalem. And to anoint the most holy place, which is talking about the, the millennial temple, which is talked about in great detail, described in great detail in Ezekiel 40 through 48, those chapters. Then it says in verse 25, the verse that we'll be noting here exclusively tonight, know and understand this, Daniel, <clears throat> Gabriel tells him, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, that's the Messiah, the ruler, comes. There'll be seven sevens and 62 sevens. The seven sevens of 49 prophetic years fulfilled during the days of Nehemiah and the rebuilding of the temple. And the 62 sevens, 434 prophetic years, are contiguous with it and on top of that. And they end with the Messiah Jesus presenting himself to the Jewish people. It says the temple will be rebuilt, or the city of Jerusalem, excuse me, will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the 483rd prophetic year, the anointed one, that's the Messiah, will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come to destroy the city and the sanctuary. So uh, the people is the Romans because they destroyed the, the temple in Jerusalem and the city of Jerusalem in 70 AD. And there's a ruler coming from them. He's yet future. He's the, one, he's the he in verse 27, making a covenant with the, the nation of Israel, the leadership of Israel, which starts the 70th week of Daniel. So that's, he's a Roman. He is a Roman, and he is going to be a dictator. And actually, what he'll be doing is presiding over the United States of Europe, we call it today, and the European common market. And so then it says in verse 27, he, the Antichrist, uh, the ruler who, come from the, who comes from the people who destroyed Jerusalem and the city and the sanctuary, the temple of Jerusalem. He will confirm a covenant with the many for one seven, 
70 weeks, uh, the 70th week of Daniel, the seven prophetic years. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And I showed you that uh, on the, with my chart on the board. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out. So as I've been pointing out, abomination actually is in the plural in the Hebrew text, and I bring it out in my translation. And the reason why that is, and many scholars, uh, Bible uh, teachers and people of prop who t uh, involve uh, delve into prophecy are missing, is that he's talking about two abominations. One, Paul talks about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, the Antichrist sits down in the rebuilt Jewish temple between the Ark of the, 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 the Cherubim on the Ark of the Covenant and proclaiming himself as God. The other one is the, the false prophet uh, presents a, uh, or builds an image of the Antichrist, talked about in Revelation 13, where he calls to the world to worship the image of the Antichrist. Jesus references that in Matthew 24 in his Olivet Discourse, and he says, and he says to the Jews living at that time that when you see that, that abomination standing in the temple. Now you're to disperse and leave the, leave the country because then the persecution, the greatest persecution of the Jewish people will take place at that time. So one more uh, dispersion of the Jews is yet uh, future. And uh, there'll be a small remnant of Jewish freemen fighters fighting the Antichrist till the second advent of Christ in the city of Jerusalem. Zechariah mentions them. And, uh, in his prophecy in, in Zechariah 12 and 14, those chapters. So uh, we see that if you see this chart of the 70th week, which is quite interesting, uh, if you look at it, uh, I bring out the fact that Satan uh, is uh, his expulsion from heaven, prophesied in Revelation 12 uh, by Michael and the elect angels, coincides or actually is the, the event that prompts Antichrist breaking the treaty and declaring himself as God. And so that starts the Armageddon campaign. So Antichrist's treaties with Israel starts the 70th week. It can't take place until the church is raptured. And it ends with the second advent of Christ. And the final three and a half years of the tribulation, the Armageddon campaign, where you have the seven seal trumpet of bold judgments of Revelation 16, which express the wrath of the Lamb, are poured out during this period, the last three and a half years. And this is why the Lord calls it the Great Tribulation in Matthew 24. So uh, let me give you my translation of those exact same verses. 70 units of seven years have been decreed for the benefit of your people as well as for the benefit of your holy city in order to put an end to the rebellion, the rebellion of being uh, the Jews against uh, the, the, the Lord. And in addition to bring sin to an end, the corporate sin of Israel, as well as to atone for iniquity, likewise to bring about everlasting righteousness, as well as to seal up prophetic vision, and in addition to anoint the most holy place. Verse 25, therefore, please know, yes, please carefully consider, from the issuing of the command to restore, yes, to rebuild Jerusalem, until an anointed one, a prince, the Messiah, Jesus. There will be seven units of seven years and 62 units of seven years. It will be restored, yes, it will be rebuilt with a public square as well as a defensive trench, even during distressful times. Verse 26, then after the 62 units of seven years, the Messiah will be executed so that he possesses nothing. Next, the people of the coming leader, the Antichrist, and the people are the Romans, will destroy the city, as well as the sanctuary, the temple of Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem and the city, uh, the temple, Herod's temple. Indeed, its end will take place with a flood. Yes, there'll be war up to the end. Desolations have been decreed. Verse 27, then he, the Antichrist, 
the ruler of the people who destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD, the Romans, he will establish a firm covenant with the leaders, the leaders of Israel at that time, which will be one unit of seven years. However, he will cause the sacrificial offering to stop in the middle of this unit of seven years, while between the wings of the cherubim, which results in abominations, he will cause desecration. Indeed, until the complete destruction is poured out against the desecrator. So if you look at my slide here on the board, we see that, and there's, uh, we've already read these uh, verses already in my translation, but if you look at, uh, on the board, this slide, Gabriel, who's actually answering Daniel's prayer, come to give Daniel an answer to prayer. <clears throat> we see this in, at the beginning of the chapter. The first 23 verses are talking about uh, Daniel praying, <coughs> excuse me, for the, for the, uh, the, uh, the gods, uh, will to be fulfilled, which was revealed in the book of Jeremiah. Where Jeremiah, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said that the Jewish people, the Jewish exiles of the southern kingdom of Judah, would be in Babylon for 70 years. So Daniel's reading that prophecy. When he gets this revelation of the 70 weeks prophecy, he's praying for that God's will would be done. And so we see that uh, this is what's, uh, that Daniel gets much more than he ever, ever. Uh, were asked for, and this brings out the principle of Ephesians 3.25 in relation to prayer. God is able to give us much more than we ask or, or think or even dream of. And uh, I can see this uh, manifested in my own life by me being here, here in Huntsville at DBC as the pastor. So we see that uh, this uh, prayer it just goes to show you that prayer is supposed to be according to the will of God, which is revealed by the Spirit in the Word of God. So we're praying, we're to ask what God wants for our lives and others and not what we want. And so this is more, never more evident with Jesus. Uh, Jesus, the Father's will was that he suffer the wrath of God on the cross for us. And that's why he asked, uh, Father, may this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And it was his will for him to suffer the wrath of God in our place so that we wouldn't suffer the wrath of God in the lake of fire forever. And then we see with Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, he, was, uh, he had the thorn in the flesh. And three times he asked the Lord to take it away from him, but the Lord would not do that because he was actually keeping Paul humble. Uh, and it was for his best interest that he did this because Paul had received great revelation uh, when he was stoned to death in Lystra and he was allowed to go into the throne room of God and there were things that he saw that he was not allowed to speak on planet Earth, which tells you something about heaven, which is pretty cool. So here, Gabriel desires, in Daniel 9, 24 through 27, Gabriel desires that Daniel know and carefully consider the exact time when these 70 units of seven years or 400, 490 prophetic years would begin and when the 69th week would end as a result of these 70 units of seven years being decreed for Israel and Jerusalem. Now, we have the, the big uh, prepositional phrase here. From the issuing of the command to restore, yes, to rebuild Jerusalem, or as the NIV says and their translation, let me give it to you up here on the board, they say, uh, uh, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. All right, so we see it. that particular prepositional phrase was the fourth of four decrees made by Persian rulers in reference to the Jews. So there are four of these, uh, these uh, decrees that Persian rulers uh, issued in relation to the Jews, and only one of them fits the bill here in Daniel 9.24 as being the fulfillment of this prophecy in Daniel 9.25, excuse me. So we, the first of these decrees was Cyrus's decree in 538 B.C., 
which is recorded in 2 Chronicles 36, 22 and 23. Also, it's found in Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and Ezra 5, 13. And that's related to the rebuilding of the temple. And then there's Darius the first's decree in 520 BC. Uh, it's noted in Ezra 6, 1, in Ezra 6, verses 6 through 12. And then there's the, the decree, number three, Artaxerxes Longamanus' decree in 458 BC, which is noted in De Ezra chapter 7, verses 11 through 26, which is related to the financial, financial support for resuming the sacrifices and the, the maintenance of the temple in Jerusalem. That doesn't fit the bill, and that doesn't co correspond to what we have here in Daniel 9.25. We have finally, the fourth and final Persian ruler decree was Artaxerxes Longamanus again, and his decree in 444 B.C., which is noted in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. That fits the bill because it's related exclusively to the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. And it was done in great adversity. And that particular decree is what is being noted here in Daniel 9.24, when the Lord said, 9.25, excuse me, when Gabriel says to Daniel, from the issuing of the command to restore, yes, to rebuild Jerusalem, that is starting the 70 weeks prophecy. So this decree is not noted in Nehemiah chapter 2. So let's go to, hold your place, let's go to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1. Nehemiah was a great man of God, and uh, he did great things. And uh, this is a great book. And, and this is another, it's interesting with God, in times of adversity, in times of adversity, God raises up men and women who do great things for him. Uh, Ezra, uh, Esther, excuse me, Ezra also, Esther did as well during this period. And then you have J Jeremiah, you have people like him, and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So, uh, and Nehemiah was a great man in great adversity. He was doing God's will and getting this, the city of Jerusalem restored. And so uh, this is extremely important because, you know, a lot of times people, uh, you know, they want to bring glory to God, but they want to do it when there's no problems. Well, you know, if you look at the great saints, uh, male and female, throughout history, uh, they did great things in times of great adversity, like Jeremiah, like Nehemiah, and like Paul, and our Lord himself. So when, you know, I wouldn't want to live in any other time in history, I'd rather than the time that we're in and the crisis that we have in our country and the world and the way the world is today, I would not want to live in any other time because now is the time that we can do great things for God and you know, we can show how uh, his great power uh, in our human weakness as we go through trials and tribulations and this is where God wants to bring glory to himself and we can, through our own living out of the spiritual life and our own life, we can show that there is a God and there's a God sovereign over the world and our circumstances and our country and the world and that he has a plan and he's working out his plan in history. So it says in Nehemiah chapter 2 verse 1, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. And I had not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you were not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Now this could get him killed for doing this, okay, being sad. I was very much afraid. That's why, because the king might execute him. You know, he is a very important per person, Nehemiah, because he's giving the king, he's tasting the wine so that the king doesn't get poisoned. So he, he's, he's actually in a great, very important position. So they can't have any problems with Nehemiah, his wine taster. But he said in verse 3 to the king, May the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins? Speaking of Jerusalem, of course. 
and its gates have been destroyed by fire by the Babylonians. The king said to me, what is it you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I've done this many times, where you don't have time to make this long, elaborate prayer. Uh, not even you, 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 It's a split second. You say it to God in your heart, and he knows what you're saying. So this is what's going on here. So he has to think on his feet. And so he said, it says in verse 5, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city of Judah, city in Judah, where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked him, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And I may, I may, have, and may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy and because the gracious hand of my God was upon me the king granted my request this is absolutely astounding and we in our country we get all worked up about our politicians with the Democrats and Biden and Trump and everything and we get so worked up but we fail to realize that the, those people and their hearts and their minds are in the hands of God. And this is a perfect example. We have a pagan ruler giving Nehemiah what he wants and actually financing him, giving him protection uh, with the full authority of the Persian government. So it just goes to show you, here's a man, Nehemiah, who's working for a pagan ruler. He's in exile, and he gets what he wants. Why? Because God uh, was uh, using Nehemiah mightily, and he was also uh, using Nehemiah to influence the king, Artaxerxes, to do what he did here. So God can do that in our lives, and we can make a, have a powerful impact on our leaders, federal, state, local level, wherever uh, we might be engaged with them, whoever we might be. Uh, you might have access to high officials in our government. You, as a Christian, you can make a positive influence on those people just by doing your job as under the Lord. And it, it catches the eye of people. That's what happened with Daniel. And, uh, and that's what happened with people like Nehemiah. And, and so it says in verse 9, So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters, and the king had also sent army office and cavalry with me. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I went to Jerusalem. After staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few men. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no amounts, no amounts with me, he says, except the one I was riding on. By night, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mouth to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered the valley gate, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as I had yet said nothing to the Jews, or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see, the trouble we're in, Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. And he says in verse 18, I also told them about the gracious hand of my God 
upon me and what the king said to me. And they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. Now you can go back to Daniel 9.25, please. Daniel 9.25. All right, Daniel 9.25. So it says in Daniel 9.25, no one understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, Messiah, comes there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. My translation of that exact same verse for you on the board. Therefore, please know, yes, please carefully consider, from the issuing of the command to restore, yes, to rebuild Jerusalem until an anointed one, a prince, there'll be seven units of seven years and 62 units of seven years. It, Jerusalem, will be restored. Yes, it will be rebuilt with a public square as well as a defensive trench even during times, distressful times. So we have here, uh, from the issuing of the command to restore, yes, to rebuild Jerusalem, is talking about Artaxerxes, long made his command, and 444 B.C. Now, again, the first three decrees, as I said before, say nothing about the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem itself. Because the first two decrees, as I pointed out to you, pertain to the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, and a third relates to finances, for animal sacrifices at the temple, but the fourth decree granted the Jews permission to rebuild Jerusalem's city walls. Now, from the issuing of the command to restore, yes, to rebuild Jerusalem, informs Daniel as to when the 70 weeks or 70 units of seven years or 490 prophetic years begin. And it will begin with the restoration and rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. So, the decree of Artaxerxes to, to Nehemiah in 444 B.C. to rebuild the city of Jerusalem is the decree being referred to here in Daniel 9.25. And this again, this decree marks the beginning of the 70 weeks or 70 units of seven years, or in other words, that's equivalent to 490 prophetic years. Now this is also indicated by the fact that this decree makes a direct reference to the restoration of the city of Jerusalem, as we saw in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, and of the city gates and walls of Jerusalem. And again, that's in Nehemiah 2, verses 3 and 8. Also, Artaxerxes wrote a letter to Asaph to give materials to be used specifically for the walls of Jerusalem and rebuilding them. That's Nehemiah 2, 8, as we read. Furthermore, the book of Nehemiah in Ezra chapter 4, verses 7 through 23, indicate that the restoration of the walls of Jerusalem was done during tremendous adversity, just as Gabriel predicted to Daniel in the 6th century B.C. and Daniel 9.25. So therefore, the only decree in history that adequately, adequately fits the criteria listed in Daniel 9.25 is this decree of Artaxerxes Longamanus in 444 B.C., which is mentioned in the book of Nehemiah, as we just read in Nehemiah chapter 2. So this decree marks the beginning, as we pointed out, of this 70 weeks prophecy. And when it says that Jerusalem, Gabriel says, Jerusalem will be restored, yes, it will be rebuilt with a public square as well as a defensive trench, even during distressful times, is telling Daniel that Jerusalem will be built, rebuilt, during times of great adversity. And again, this was fulfilled during the days of Nehemiah, as recorded in this book, which bears his name. And then we have, and we'll spend the rest of the class on this, we have the phrase, until an anointed one, 
of prints. There'll be seven units of seven years and 62 units of seven years. That is marking the end of the 69 units of seven years or 69 weeks, which as we pointed out, is uh, equivalent to 483 prophetic years. And it was fulfilled, this prophecy here, was fulfilled in history when the Lord Jesus Christ presented himself to Israel as her Messiah. And that's recorded for us in Luke 19, 28 through 44. So go now to Luke chapter 19, verse 28. Luke 19, 28. So this is approaching the end of the, the Lord's ministry in his first advent. And he is going to present himself to the Jewish people as their Messiah, and the majority had rejected him. And uh, so we see here that when Daniel, when Gabriel says to Daniel in Daniel 9.25, that until an anointed one of prince, there'll be seven units of seven years and 62 units of seven years, uh, he's referring to the event that will mark the end of the 69th week and thus the 483 prophetic years. And that event was Jesus Christ being rejected by the Jewish people when he presented himself as the Messiah. And this, if the, as we'll see, and this is remarkable, this is what makes this class, I think, very exciting, is that what, what happens is that if you were a Jewish person in the first century and you knew this prophecy of Daniel, you could have known the exact day that G the Messiah would walk into Jerusalem and present himself as Messiah, and you would have known it was Jesus of Nazareth because Jesus walks in the very exact day, right down to the very exact day that this prophecy should be fulfilled. Okay? So this was uh, fascinating here. So look at ni Luke 19. Look at Luke 19, and let's look at verse 28. After Jesus had said this, the things he said in the first 27 verses, of course, of D Luke 19, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, tell him, The Lord needs it. Those who, went, who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? And they replied, the Lord needs it. And they brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. And as he went along, the people spread their cloaks on the road. And then it says in verse 37, when he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles that he had seen. This is right on the heels of him raising Lazarus from the dead, which prompted the, the Jewish leaders to put out a contract on him, amazingly. So then it says in verse 38, the crowd goes, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, Jesus said to them, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And then it says in verse 41, As he approached Jerusalem, and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, Jerusalem, had only known on this day, it's very explicit in the Greek text, it's a specific particular day, the day he, he completes the prophecy of Daniel 9.25. On this day, what would bring you peace, namely believing in him as Savior? But now 
has been hidden from your eyes. And the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you. That's the Romans in 70 AD. And encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls, and they will leave, not leave one stone on another, all fulfilled in history with the Roman invasion in 70 AD. And why did this happen? Because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. He's affirming his deity right there. So this is fascinating. So we see that Jesus and his presentation to the Jewish people as the Jewish Messiah was predicted in the book of Daniel in fact, it marks the end of the 69 prophetic, first 69 prophetic weeks or 480 prophetic years mentioned in the book of Daniel, and in particular Daniel 9.25. So, this is very important. Now follow me, there's a lot of numbers here and dates and all that stuff and the Gregorian calendar and the Jewish calendar and there's a lot of numbers so you might get confused, but don't be confused. Uh, you can download this stuff from our written documents on Winston.org or Academia.edu on this particular subject of the Day of the Lord and you can read it and uh, I got the notes, so you can get the notes. So don't try to memorize the numbers, but I want you to get the principle. Don't, uh, first, I want you to understand what's being said here and how accurate the Word of God is, okay? So we see here, as I've been pointing out to you, that the seven units of seven years, or seven weeks, is actually 49 years, which refers to the rebuilding of Jerusalem, as we saw in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 12 to 15. Also, we've established that the 62 weeks, or 60 times, 62 units of seven years, is 434 prophetic years. Also, we pointed out and established this, that the seven weeks is to be added to the 62 weeks, which equals 483 years. In other words, they're contiguous. So, we can see that the first seven weeks and the 62 weeks that followed it ran consecutively with no time between them and totaled 483 years. And this has all been fulfilled in history and that it extended from March 5th, 444 B.C. to March 30th, 33 A.D. Now, March is our, uh, the, the month that we call in our March is uh, the third month in our year is uh, how we call in our calendar. But the Jews, the equivalent to March was Nisan, okay? So I'm bringing this, I'm trying to bring over what's in the Jewish calendar into our calendar and what the exact dates would be. So we see here that uh, this would be, the fact, if you look at this point on the board, we can see that the first seven weeks and the 62 weeks that followed it ran contiguously or consecutively, we say, with no time in between them. And they totaled 483 years, and this has been fulfilled in history, and that it extended from, from according to our calendar, March 5th, 444 B.C., to March 30th, 33 A.D. Now, this would be 173,800 days. And remember, the Jewish calendar is a 360-day calendar. Now, in order to understand how 444 B.C. to A.D. 33 can equal 483 years, we must understand that the Jewish calendar, again, has a 360 days per year and thus, the 483 years times 360 days equals 173,880 days. Now, the Gregorian calendar, which we uh, have and observe and live our lives by, contains 365 days a year, as we noted. And under this, 444 B.C. to 33 A.D. 
would be 476 years. And why? Because only one year expired between 1 BC and AD 1. A total of 476 years divided by four, okay? A leap year being every four years gives 119 additional days, but three days must be subtracted from 119. Why is that? Because centennial years are not leap years, though every 400 years is a leap year. So thus, 400, 476 years times 365 days equals 173,740 days. And if we add 116 days in leap years, can't forget about them, and 24 days, that's from March 5th to, thir to the 30th, we have 173,880 days. So if we multiply the 69 weeks by seven years for each week by 360 days, that would give us a total of 173,800 days. I'm not done yet, almost there, but listen to this. There are 476 solar years between 444 BC and 33 AD. Now, if we multiply 476 by 365.242198879, or by 365 days, five hours, 48 minutes, 45.975 seconds, as Honer, Harold Honer suggests, the great scholar out of Dallas, one arrives at the number of 173,855 days, six hours, 52 minutes, 44 seconds, or, we, or we, that would be 173,855 days. Okay? Now, all these numbers I'm giving you is all from Harold Honer's chronological study of the life of Christ. This is not originates with me. This is a man who did a lot of work on it, and he's, he's considered a great uh, scholar. He went home to be with the Lord not too long ago. He's a great exegete and expositor of Ephesians and other books. He's quite, he was quite, uh, uh, quite talented uh, expositor and theologian, and he did a marvelous job with his prophecy. And, uh, and I know a man uh, that uh, read my article on this, and uh, he liked it, and so he told me that he actually spoke to Harold Honer before his death and showed him some things that actually uh, build on Honer's work here in his chronological study of the life of Christ. And uh, so I read it, and uh, he's going to publish it, so I really can't quote, uh, quote from it yet until he publishes it. But it was nice that he let me read it. It's quite fascinating, and he did a great job, and Honer agreed too. So this is even more uh, in compelling, this fulfillment of this prophecy on Daniel 9.25, once his book has been published. And so we see here that there are 25 days to be accounted for between 444 B.C. and 33 A.D. Now, if we add 25 days to March 5th, 444 B.C., we arrive at March 30th, 33 A.D., which was amazingly, in the Jewish calendar, Nisan 10, 33 A.D., and that was the day of the Lord Jesus Christ's tearful or triumphal entry into Jerusalem to present himself to Israel as her king. Luke 19.44, which we read, records the Lord Jesus Christ telling the Jews in his day that the city of Jerusalem would be destroyed because they did not recognize the exact day of their visitation by God, meaning they did not recognize him as their Messiah on the day, the very day, he presented himself as Israel's king. So, if the Jews, and I mentioned this before, study the prophecy in Daniel 9.25, they would have been able to calculate the exact day when their Messiah would arrive, 
Thus they would have recognized Jesus of Nazareth as their king, since he presented himself on the last day of the 483rd year. From a literal understanding, people, and we'll close with this, from a literal understanding of this prophecy in Daniel 9.25, they would have seen that Jesus fulfilled this prophecy to the exact day. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. We pray that this lesson would be a great blessing to your people, bringing glory to you and your son, Jesus Christ. And give us encouragement to know that you have the rulers of the world in your hand and that you have the whole world. Uh, you're under control of everything that's going on and everything is flowing according to your plan and with exact precision. So help us to live our lives accordingly and have great confidence as we go through the various trials and tribulations that we must uh, go through in order to enter uh, the kingdom of God with great rewards at the Bema Seat. So Father, we pray for this in our, lesson, in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. All right, going to sing us a song, and uh, a song I wrote a long time ago that I haven't played here, so it's called New World Order, about the tribulation period and uh, that uh, we've been studying about. So uh, let me just scrap on my guitar. Can't do that. Can't lose my microphone there.
Vestir 